You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Inside Healthcare. I'm your host, Dave Smolar, Senior Multimedia Specialist here at NCQA. The National Committee for Quality Assurance, or NCQA, improves the quality of healthcare in America. We exist to make healthcare better for all. We set expectations, measure performance, and highlight organizations that do well. And we use science to build better health and better choices for all. To all our new listeners, thanks for tuning in. And for all our loyal listeners, thanks for sticking with us. We continue to make sure that you're glad you did. In this episode, a talk with one of our company's newest leaders, the NCQA Director for Health Equity Initiatives, Dr. Brian O. Buckley. We followed that talk with some fast facts on whether vaccination rates among various populations give further indications of gaps in health equity in the U.S. And after that, a bit about our newest event, our four-day Health Innovation Summit, coming to you live starting on Halloween. But first... Here at Inside Healthcare, we're no strangers to the struggle for health equity in the United States. We've talked with thought leaders and public figures, from health experts to policy advocates, all trying to resolve the gaps in healthcare for historically underserved populations. I implore our listeners, go back, starting with the fall of 2021, and listen to our past guests talk passionately about the numerous angles of health equity we've already discussed and the lack of fair and equal representation that continues to keep people from getting the health care they need and so richly deserve. NCQA continues to stand at the forefront of the efforts to identify and firmly resolve the issues of health inequity. Our health equity accreditation programs help the healthcare industry reevaluate how to improve health equity for all. And as part of our striving to eliminate health disparities, reduce costs to providers, systems, and patients, and achieve better health outcomes for all, we've continued to build a team here to push our goals even faster, even further. And that brings me to our guest today. Dr. Brian O. Buckley is NCQA's new Director for Health Equity Initiatives. In this new position, Dr. Buckley will support NCQA's health equity strategy across multiple departments to better integrate health equity concepts into existing programs and projects. Before NCQA, Dr. Buckley was a research fellow with MedStar Health's Institute for Quality and Safety, where he led and supported healthcare delivery research, education, and consulting related to community health, patient safety, and quality. He teaches now at Georgetown University's School of Medicine. He's on the board of the American Heart Association in the greater Washington region. He's an incredibly active member of the American Public Health Association, serving on the executive board and many other groups there, including the Black Caucus of Health Workers. Dr. Buckley earned his doctorate in public health from the T.H. Chan School of Public Health at Harvard University. He was the first black male to graduate from that program, but not the last. We're lucky to have him aboard here at NCQA. I was thrilled to have him on the show. Here's our talk with Dr. Brian Buckley. I like to think of my role as very much a facilitator. 
as I think I told folks once I got in, I'm not here to solve all your inequities um, for the whole entire company. I'm here to build up that health equity muscle for everyone because really health equity is something that we all should be doing throughout the company, through all our products, through our policies and programs. And so I view my role in many ways of how do we really um, make health equity part of our DNA here at NCQA, but then also how do we improve the health and well-being of where people live, work, and play across the nation? And so that's how I view my position and my core role coming into this role. So we have some programs already rolling, and I'm, I, I, clearly there are ideas out there for more things that we could do to uh, help promote and support health equity. So w- what are some of your immediate goals, your short-term goals, like in the next uh, two months, what what do you hope to be able to start doing? So the first thing is actually listening. So one of part of my mission statement is, you know, using my education, my authenticity, my privilege that I've been fortunate to have, whether it's between my doctor, through my education, to improve the health of organizations and individuals through listening, reflecting, and framing with an eye towards action. And so that last part there, I think is the most important part as I'm going on my journey here as well, is listening. We have so many amazing people within NCQA that have a deep passion for health equity. And I like to call it the Justice League approach to this. You know, we have superheroes throughout the whole entire company. It's about putting us all together into that Justice League and really looking at how we can maximize the collective intelligence of all of us to truly address these wicked problems within healthcare related to inequities. And so my first step is really listening, going to see where people are doing, what their passions are, reflecting on that, really asking myself uh, questions to myself, questioning my assumptions, thinking about where are opportunities, the what ifs that we could be doing. And then from there, framing to an eye towards action to see what we can actually do um, as next steps across the enterprise and making sure that we're all aligned together. Now, let me ask you something. So if you have a little pie chart for each person and a section of that is technical stuff that they've been through, like I went to a doctor for this and then they didn't seem to be listening to me or I felt uncomfortable just because they didn't get where my family situation was and versus the other part of it, which is uh, my uh, feelings and my experience and how I feel I'm being treated. So one is the technical side of these are the walls that I hit in my healthcare journey for something. And the other side is this is the feeling that how much of each one do you do you end up weighing when when you're trying to evaluate what this person's own experience has been in terms of feeling uh, inequity, feeling that they they weren't treated fairly in the health system? I actually say I don't know if I would put it necessarily a weight because it's both. It's both the technical piece that you're talking about, um, and it's also what we would call in healthcare the adaptive pieces. If you're um, if you're kind of looking at a um, a HIFITS model. So it's that adaptive and technical interventions that need to be done. So from the technical side, I'm very much a, a, a student of process improvement. And Deming would always say every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Those are the technical pieces in healthcare that we, we actually have to figure out, like, why do we have this criteria for this person or not this person? How are we thinking about intake? How are we thinking about waiting? Are we making sure that there's a fair environment 
um, agnostic to whoever is doing the work. And so that's the technical piece. But then the adaptive piece is, this is where it requires some new learning. It requires some new approaches um, to really thinking about, do we allow an opportunity for patients to share their story? The one person that's an expert on themselves is them. And so do we actually do some of this work? Some of the work I did actually with MedStar earlier on was around this, uh, a minute for your health where we actually have the physicians pause for a minute to just listen to the patient. And that's requiring the adaptive work for people to feel heard, for people to feel seen in healthcare. And so it's hard to say way one or the other, it's both. And making sure that we have a technical piece of making sure that you're providing that minute, but then the adaptive piece are, are you actually listening in that moment to the patient and their concerns? And not just looking at them in the four walls of the hospital, but then also throughout their whole entire life course, where do they live? What resources are around them and how can they truly thrive in society? So we need new tools. We need new ideas and new tools. And, you know, uh, so we have our health equity accreditation programs. Mm-hmm. What other kinds of tools, I'd say it like that, not programs, but tools can NCQA create um, just off the top of your head that you think the kinds of tools at least that we could continue to craft that would be able to help providers and systems to um, to try to close up the gaps. Yeah, so we have a, an amazing product team at NCQA. I feel like there's too many products to name of all the things that we do. But I think the piece that where health equity comes into place is how are we also, not just from the external of the products we're creating, but how do we inform our products even better and think about not just the now for our customers as the health plans and the health systems, but also thinking about how that impact happens on the front line with our communities. Are we bringing in community voices? So for example, as part of our health equity accreditation, um, plus program. A lot of it focuses on how do we as healthcare partner with community-based organizations and really learn from them because we don't have all the answers in healthcare around how people's lives are actually impacted by some of our work. And so it requires that cultural humility from us as NCQA to bring those folks that aren't heard, share that power, lift their voices up to inform some of our new products so that as we're thinking about interoperability, we're not just thinking about our customers and healthcare, but we're helping them progress even further and helping facilitate a better opportunity for them to partner with community-based organizations and the community members at large. Uh, So for example, as we're thinking about um, measures that track population health and some of our digital transformation that we're doing, How are we also thinking about how that digital transformation also crosses over to some of the systems that community-based organizations are using? As we think about different programs like Find Help, Unite Us, how do we make sure that there's interoperability with that so that we're not just tackling what the customer feels like is the need at that moment, but more of the bigger macro system of where we see some of those inequities and gaps in communication across our whole entire communities? Let, let me ask you something. May I ask you about your family history? I know you like talking about it. And this is, again, working backwards. Um, what drew you to public health? What, is there anything from your family or from growing up that um, that got you interested in, in wanting to pursue? Because you've gone further with public health than many other people. <clears throat> Excuse me. Very, very dedicated to public health. So where did it all start for you? Um. 
I credit a lot of it to my upbringing, my parents, my grandparents, um, the ancestors that came before them. So my family, I'm a first generation Caribbean American. So both of my parents are immigrants. And so I think just off the bat, just having that aspect of not being fully ingrained into the U.S. system all the time. During the summers, I would go to Antigua, where my family is from. And one thing my grandmother used to do when we were in Antigua, she was a school teacher. So she was a principal um, for one of the local schools. And one of the things that she would do is she would take all the, her grandchildren and we would go on a walk through the community. And she was really big about making sure that we always thought about the community approach and we're always checking in with people. She would just walk through and we do this whole entire thing. And this would be like every week to see how people are doing, just talking to people. And I think that's where the ethos of where I love public health is, is about how do we improve the health and well-being of where people live, work, and play. And for you to know that you have to talk to the people. My grandfather, my paternal grandfather, which also came from Antigua, he also gave me a challenge. Um, so he was a pastor. Um, he's done um, a missionary um, work across the, the world, does a lot of work in Liberia and started some of his work in the Caribbean. He would always tell me, we're on this world for two reasons. One, to make the world a better place with whatever skill sets and privileges that we've been given in this world. And two, to mentor and coach the next generation to build on that work. It was this idea of you're here to make a difference. You're here to improve lives, but you're also here to coach, mentor, and pass on your knowledge, your failures, your successes onto the next generation so they can build it even better than you. So there's already humility built into that. And so I would credit a lot, both my paternal and maternal grandparents for infusing in me this sense of community and the importance of talking with people, being one with people and being in relationship with people um, to do this work. That's, that's fantastic. And, and honestly, on this show, when we talk about equity by this point, there's a lot of different kinds of equity and there are commonalities in all of them. Okay. Um, tell me a little bit about Harvard. Uh, just a little bit, not, not forever, but a little bit. No, no, no. So you got your doctorate at the, uh, at the Chan School of Public Health but it looks like you had a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of things that you were doing involved with the school. So whatever you want to tell me, just feel, feel free. Let us know. Oh man. I feel like I did so many things at Harvard. So I guess the, <laughs> the, the cliff well, notes. Give me a why it's a why question. So, so we... the why I, I, it gets back to the ethos of public health. It's about building bridges. And so I think I've always been a, a bridge builder and most of my life, as I told you, my family influenced a lot. And I forgot to even mention my dad and grandfather are social workers. And so they kind of came from that ethos of how do you build connections? And so while I was at Harvard um, and in true public health, and as we talk about in equities, it's more than just how do we reduce disparities, but how do we create systems and policies and practices differently? So I had the pleasure of being the president of the Harvard Graduate Council, which oversaw all 12 graduate professional schools at Harvard. So I got the opportunity, and this is like during the time actually of COVID. So I meeting with the president, the provost on a bi-monthly basis and working with different schools of how can we do things together versus apart? Because the way Harvard's system is set up, it's very, each school kind of is its own like entity and they don't always work with each other. And so part of my earlier work was like, how do we actually bridge commonality with each other? So that was probably like the best thing, I guess one could say I did at Harvard was to be the Harvard, um, um, 
graduate school president, but then also did a lot of things at Chan. Um, I was the VP. I started my student government work on really early, the VP of, um, of, um, of policy um, and so really in advocacy. And so really looking and going through that gimbal walk of hearing what were the concerns of folks. The way Harvard is, as I said, there's the Cambridge campus and then there's like the Longwood campus. And so the School of Public Health, the med school and the dental school, they're on that Longwood campus. And often sometimes we didn't feel we were always connected to the main school. That's a nice analogy for how you know healthcare is, where community-based organizations don't feel like they're connected to those healthcare organizations that are the staple in their um, communities. And so a lot of that work all came there into how do we do this work together? And I've gotten to work on so many cool projects while I was at Harvard. My, my program was, it's a doctor in public health. So it's really focused on how do we translate the research that has happened into practice. And so I had the most amazing cohort and we got to work on all these cool micro projects. So I got to work on telehealth. How do we think about telehealth disparities? Um, working with McLean. Um, I got to work with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts and thinking about how we think about um, prior authorizations and um, um, payment reform. And so I would say Harvard was like just an opportunity to just be in a sandbox and explore. Um, there's so many angles I could go. You get to meet so many amazing people, get to hear so many different perspectives, um, especially around all the different schools. But the coolest thing I think I ever felt was how do you find the commonalities that we all have together and the amazing passion that people had for improving society's well-being. I just want to say honestly to all our listeners, this is one person we're talking to. <laughs> he's, just, he's one person. <laughs> and, you know, and, and he would say, I mean, you would say like, well, someone's got to be the president of, you know, helping to bring together all the, and I, you could have somebody who comes in as the president and that, and they don't think that my job is to try to bring together all the programs and help us figure out, they might just say, you know, oh, well, I'm just here to visit each one and hey, how you doing? That's great. And, so um, that's it, it's amazing work and still be able to actually finish your PhD in less than 20 years. <laughs> and I would actually say, put, put back there, DRPH. And I think that's actually an interesting intersection that folks may not always know. The difference between a PhD, which focuses on new knowledge and knowledge creation versus a practice-based degree like a DRPH or even similar to an EDD, which focuses on the implementation of that work. And it requires new skills around negotiation, around partnerships, around communication. Um, and so I always want to like tell people there is that difference um, between that PhD kind of model of things and then that practice-based model. And one thing that came out in... Um, the early 21st century was this idea that we need more practice people that have doctorates to help translate this. Because on average, most research takes about 10 years to actually become practice. And we need to speed that up. And so that's the reason you've been seeing in the past five, 10 years, a lot of these practice-based degrees like DRPHAs and EDDs and you know DBAs, doctor and business administration start to pop up because we do, we're, society is moving faster and we need people that can actually implement this and navigate the gray to making change happen. I appreciate you telling us that, honestly, does the practical application of it is really important. So does that mean there was field work that was associated with the doctorate that you had to, to, yeah. to do in addition to, so where were you when you were doing your field work outside of coursework and writing? Yeah. So, yeah. So we have, uh, it kind of goes back and forth. So we would like do a semester of, um, 
semester of, you know, lectures and classes. And then over our winter break, I guess you could say the winter term or J term and our summers, we do more of our practice work. So the first year where you're in that, we actually start in the summer, the first summer, we actually take a personal mastery class. It's the idea for you to really truly change things on the outside. You first have to understand yourself and anchor yourself. So that was the first thing. And then in our first winter immersion, we actually work on enabling teams. How do you work in a team environment? Work with people that don't think like you. And these were our fellow classmates. And we were thrown in to do essentially a four-week consulting project really quickly. When the pressure's on, how do you work on a team? And then we got to explore different things. So we have like throughout all of our coursework, we're having like different change um, change management type of classes, negotiation classes, public speaking classes that we would take uh, to learn how do we actually get this work done. And then over the summer, we do your own individual project, which is where I worked for Blue Cross Blue Shield in this regard in Massachusetts. And then something unique compared to other degrees. So our traditional, our dissertation is not the traditional thing you would think of, where you know you focus on this one thing. It's actually partnering with the host organization and finding out a problem that they have and utilizing all the skill sets that you've been learning over the past two and a half years to try to fix that problem. So I decided to stay with Blue Cross Blue Shield in Massachusetts. I got to work in the office of the CEO in strategic initiatives, and we were testing out a bundled payment model for palliative care, home-based palliative care. And so I got to actually test this out throughout the whole entire state with uh, 10 different um, uh, hospice and palliative care agencies to see does a bundle payment model make more sense than a fee-for-service model? So I helped with the implementation um, or actually the creation, the implementation and the evaluation of the project. And that was my dissertation um, that I presented to my committee. One year from now, I don't know, what year is it now? 2022? Okay, <laughs> one day, <laughs> I was told there would be no math. So uh, 2023, oh my goodness. Okay, August, 2023. So uh, uh, what are you up to? August of 2023. Um, hopefully I have made a lot of progress, both internally <laughs> and externally. <laughs> I don't know, but um, it's not like spoiler alert. I was just, you know, uh, can I you mean, foresee I, anything I, a year from now? Well, what, what do you think in general would be good changes to have seen implemented by, by a year from now? So one um, community voice is really important to me. I told you a little bit about my own experience with my family, but even also on my teaching side. So as you mentioned earlier, I, I teach as an assistant professor in medicine at Georgetown. And this idea of how do we bring more community voices and share power, I think that's actually something really important that I want to implement within NCQA is how do we look at our privilege as an amazing organization that's created standards to help raise and share power and lift up voices that often are not heard at all? How do we think about our panels, our, our public comment, our advisory boards in more innovative ways that bring in that patient, that consumer, those communities, those church leaders, those religious groups into the conversation so that when we're making our products, we know that we have looked at it from all different angles and that as we're creating new processes, we are enabling and empowering our customers to enhance and advance health equity across um, the field. Do I think we would have accomplished everything I want? No, not by a year, but I hope that we would have planted the seeds and start watering those plants to help them grow as we continue to do this work. Because often health equity is an action. And I always like to remind people, it's a process. It's not this end outcome fully, and it requires diligence and determination throughout the whole entire 
um, work to keep, make make sure that we're not just advancing, but that we're maintaining it. I'm going to throw you another curveball. Let me ask you about value-based care, value-based models for care or models for 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 billing. Uh, we we've talked to experts who one person especially who was very clear on all of the shades of gray when it comes to value-based care that it's wonderful, but some systems are so set in their ways and their software that interoperability makes it more makes it hard for them right now to suddenly drop everything. When it comes to value-based care, I'm talking about um, where the physician is turning around and trying to forget about all of the things that they usually technically have to do and the forms to fill out and things like that. And they stop and think about what is it that's wrong with the patient or what is the patient really trying to solve? And can I please solve this problem with them? And how quickly can I do it? And and then interoperability goes to the, can we help them along in their journey to make sure that they don't have to do a whole bunch of redundant kinds of things. And that if somebody comes in and they're in pain, we get them what they need sooner instead of having a bunch of bureaucracy that comes in the middle. And two months later, oh, we got your solution for you. And you're like, all right, well, you know, now I'm worse off than I was before. And we have to start all over again. Yeah. I mean, in short, I think that's the future of healthcare. <laughs> um, on how we think about value. Um, often healthcare industry has kind of viewed itself very much in this production of there's something to get fixed. You go into the body shop, you get it fixed, but we're not actually thinking about when we're talking about value, it's how are we preventing things from happening to begin with? Um, and really focusing on, I, as we talked about earlier, that technical and adaptive work that has to happen with the provider and the patient. Giving the provider, because it's also on them, the provider's on a lot of guidelines to just constantly bill, bill, bill. But what if they have the time to truly listen to the patient and look at them as a holistic person and solve a lot of those preventative things that they needed? You actually prevent harm. When you become more upstream, you could prevent that person from going to the hospital you know, a couple more times in the future. And so I think that's where the model is going. To your point earlier, it is a change and it's a lot of different system changes, but that gets into that whole idea of what's our mission and our vision for the future. And as I would challenge any health plan or any health system, what are your values and your mission statements? And oftentimes it's being a leader within your community and helping to address and improve population health. And so as it requires that, it will require some work, some new ways of thinking about things, but we're always remember who the, the end user is. It's that patient in the communities that we serve. Yeah. And then you zoom out from there and you say, before we even talk about somebody getting sick for whatever reason and ending up there, you talk about the communities where they're living and say, what can we do inside this community to boost, you know, better health so that they have better outcomes. So they don't need the, you know, the health. I mean, when we're talking about food deserts, and other uh, things that are just detrimental to uh, a certain community, I, I would imagine that part of your work and part of your thought process is to talk about what can we place into these communities to rehabilitate, uh, I hate to say it, to rehabilitate a, a community so that they have the same opportunities for educating and helping people to establish and maintain good health having those opportunities instead of just somebody on TV saying, Oh, you should be doing this and you should be doing this and say, well, you know what? I, I don't have time and I don't have those resources because they're nowhere near me. 
So I would even challenge it. It's not just us as a healthcare institution, just building something for the community. And we have to change our mindset, which I think is really hard for a loss in healthcare is instead of something, doing something for the patient, how do we do it with them? And that with and for is really important. How do we co-create certain things with them, co-develop? Because that's the part that we we, we constantly fail on. We, we think we have all the answers and we have this, what we call the Eiffel Tower approach on how we think we have all this expertise. Community members and what we learn in like A3 thinking, the people is closest to the problem usually have a better idea of how to fix the problem. And so how are we listening to what they're saying? Um, Heifetz and adaptive leadership would say, what is the song beneath the words that we need to listen to? And often, sometimes we're always in our head and thinking, well, we have this education. Even for me, I could be Harvard educated, but if I'm not listening and talking to people at the end user, I know nothing at all. Um, and how do we combine and look at that collective intelligence to see how we can change populations as a whole? And that's hard work. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's hard, it's hard work, um, but we can do it and it's possible. It just requires us to having that time to step back and have that reflective practice and that cultural humility for ourselves to do that partnership. That's NCQA's new Director for Health Equity Initiatives, Dr. Brian O. Buckley, ready to take those first steps towards better health care for all. As we do on every episode of Inside Healthcare, here's some fast facts. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention marked this month of August 2022 as Immunization Awareness Month. Now, I'm sure all our listeners, in the midst especially of a global pandemic, are more than a little aware of the benefits of immunization. Here at NCQA, our Healthcare Effectiveness and Information Set, which we know as HEDIS, contains measures for both adult immunization status and childhood immunization status. For adults ages 19 and older, we help HEDIS participants track whether patients are up to date on routine shots, including the flu and Tdap vaccines. And for the brave little ones, our measures calculate rates for vaccines, covering everything from childhood measles and mumps to hepatitis, A and B, and chickenpox. And now a few health equity-related fast facts from the CDC. This time we're focusing on the flu vaccine. For the 2021-2022 flu season, we have a little snapshot of how things were. Based on their National Immunization Survey Adult COVID module from data collected in the month of March 2022, we have the estimates for how many people age 18 and older went and got the flu vaccine. Flu vaccine coverage for non-Hispanic white adults was 51.3%. For Hispanic adults, non-Hispanic black adults, and non-Hispanic adults of what were deemed other or multiple races, coverage for each population group there was 16 to 18% lower. The CDC quotes another set of surveys, this time from the Ipsos Knowledge Panel and NORC Amerispeak Omnibus, These stats were collected in the top half of December 2021. I wanted to share these with you as well. Of the white non-Hispanic population surveyed here, about half of them, 50% of them, were already vaccinated, while 29% said they had no intention of getting the vaccine for the flu at all. Among Hispanics, only 41% had been vaccinated, although the number of those not planning to get the shot 
was close to those of white non-Hispanic population. The survey then found that among the black non-Hispanic population surveyed, just under 40% were vaccinated, which is in a parallel with the Hispanic population surveyed, but a full 37% of this group said they did not plan to get the flu vaccine, which is eight points lower than the other two groups. The numbers might be close here, but they could still be revealing disparities from one population to the next. I mentioned earlier how NCQA continues to track these trends. A year ago, in episode 10 of our Future of HEDIS webinar series on our website, we announced that the gap in immunization rates between adults on commercial versus Medicaid health plans widened in 2020. From 2018 to 2020, folks using commercial plans saw a rise in flu vaccinations of more than four percentage points. But meanwhile, folks on Medicaid saw a drop of nearly four points in just one year. Over 60% of Medicaid users are from non-white populations. So in this respect, the 2020 drop in vaccination coverage noted here may be an equity issue. Now, in about a month, we'll have calendar year 2021 results, and we'll check what happened with that adult immunization gap and update you on this show. But for now, check out episode 10 of the Future of HEDIS webinar series on our website, and look for other webinars this fall when we'll present the latest HEDIS results. Well, if it feels too long since we got together, you may be right. You should then set your sights on D.C., NCQA's very first annual Health Innovation Summit runs from October 31st through November 3rd at the Marriott Marquis Hotel in our nation's capital. Four days of meet and greets, seminars, networking, and more, yet to rub elbows with top minds in healthcare today. And then there's the convention floor, with more chances to find out the latest and greatest in what means the most to you. Go to www.ncqasummit.com to register, to get a booth, to become a sponsor, to plan your trip, all of these things, from innovative care delivery to breakthrough innovations and more. It's all about quality, folks. The NCQA Health Innovation Summit from Halloween through November 3rd. Again, for more, go to ncqasummit.com and we'll see you there. And now we come to you once again, our loyal Inside Healthcare listeners. We want to hear from you, your comments on the show, your thoughts on future show topics, your ideas for guests. If you want to be a guest, come and contact us. We're always looking for input and expression, and absolutely, we welcome your feedback. So drop us a line, please, at communications.ncqa.org. But you know what? Just to get you going, like we do every time, here's a question to consider and maybe write to us. Let us know your response. Now, here's the question. What's one way to encourage health providers and hospital systems to set up shop in historically underserved communities? Have a think. Let it stew. Send us your thoughts again to communications.ncqa.org because I'm sure you've got something to say. Well, that's all for this edition of NCQA's Inside Healthcare Podcast, episode 86, now in the books. And of course, 
We've been doing this podcast for nearly five years, so there are plenty of episodes for you to download or stream. Listen in, spread the word about the show, and again, please let us know what you think. For the communications team here at NCQA, I'm Dave Smolar. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast.